So how did this happen? We're, we're back together again. Every time I turn around, I see you. There you are. Welcome back to the Robert Davi Show. Uh, Jim Watkins, honored to be sitting in for the great Renaissance man. And boy, oh boy, what a day, huh? I have to say for the first time that I actually like Kevin McCarthy. I didn't even know until yesterday, until Jan Gray told us that he was from Bakersfield. Now, I grew up in Southern California, so my roots are in the Los Angeles and Santa Barbara area. Not that that matters to you, but I spent a fair amount of my time traveling around the state of California. And let me tell you something. Bakersfield is a whole lot of desert. And uh, you've got a couple of great military bases out there. You've got a great community. The weather is fabulous. But it's high country, and uh, it's a little dry. And uh, it, it, it's not like the rest of California. It's, it's not anything like the rest of, of Southern California, that is for sure. Uh, the people there are, are the, the breadbasket. They are the, the, the you want to call flyover country. That's flyover county. Uh, a lot of people stop through. They're going on their way to Shasta or or they're heading north to Reno or they're going across to, to get to uh, Vegas. Or, or, or But it's a whole lot of driving and a whole lot of nothing for as, lar- as long as the eye can see. But Kevin McCarthy must have had a lot of time growing up uh, to really take it all in. And he actually impressed me. He impressed me because... He has cojones. I saw some cojones coming. Normally, whenever I, I see Kevin McCarthy looks like a caricature of a guy that you would see on West Wing playing a senator or a congressman. Doesn't he? He has that kind of political fake look, like he's a little bit too well coiffed, like kind of like Gavin Newsom. You know, not one single hair is ever out of, out of place. Always wearing nice, impeccably nice suits. You know, doesn't say much. Um, and, and I frankly don't even know how he got to become, you know, minority leader because I'd never heard of him, even though I'm from California. So I always f- felt like he was a little bit of a, but you know what? The guy has, he has some cojones. <laughs> Speaker Pelosi's select committee on January 6th is unlike any other committee in American history. In fact, it is the most political and least legitimate committee in American history. It has used congressional subpoenas to attack Republicans, violate due process, and infringe on the political speech of private citizens. It has actually been caught altering evidence, including the text messages of our ranking member, Jim Jordan. It has permanently damaged the House and divided this country. And let's be honest, it is a smokescreen for Democrats to push their radical agenda. Sure is. You read it in just an Axios just this week. The battles internally, because what do they want to do? They want to federalize the elections. And they're talking about their real outcome of what they want to achieve, abolish the electoral college. All the while that the Democrats are ignoring really what is affecting the American people. The highest inflation in more than 40 years. Record high gas prices doubled since President Biden has taken office. Lack of baby formula, unsecure border, fentanyl coming across. Now the number one killer of Americans between the ages of 18 and 45. Well, wait a minute. I thought that was guns. I thought that was gun violence. Anyway, so there you have it. Uh, a man who just, by the way, ran, uh, won his primary. 
in the elections in California earlier. So he's set. He's got to be very happy because he knows that come November, he will be the House Majority Leader. So he's he's on cloud nine and he's got some mojo. And he's here to tell you on the, on the day of this big hearing that you're going to watch on TV tonight, if you watch it. For those of you who hear, hear this show, uh, I didn't watch it, okay? And I'm not going to watch it. And the reason that I'm not going to watch it, normally I don't like to advocate for boycotts because I think boycotts are, you know, if they're not well-placed, it, it's kind of a waste of time. Uh, and I do believe that people should be entitled to see and make up their own minds on matters like the January 6th hearings. But, you know, for one thing, uh, the sound bites are always better the next day. So you can almost guarantee that on the next broadcast of the Robert Davi show, we're going to play a lot of the sound bites and you'll see a lot of the trumped up drama, no pun intended, that they put into this thing because they hired the guy who, who orchestrates Good Morning America. Uh, and if you ever saw, if you want to ever go back and see a movie that John Dem's movie, the remake of the Manchurian Candidate, uh, the way that they they portray elections in that movie is very similar to what we have today in our world. It's very flashy, lots of graphics. If you watch ABC News on any given night, you have to notice these things. And you should always, you should never stop saying why. Why should be the most common thought in your mind. Why, for example, on ABC News, do they have a little faded gray, what looks like a stock ticker? It doesn't say anything specific, but what is it? What is that there for? What is that What is that to give you the impression of? And then over on the right screen, a, a very large screen behind David Muir, I'm just using him as an example, but I have sort of a, a warped scene that kind of goes with what he's saying. It's like live footage, not always accurate live footage, but it's there to convey the emotion of the seriousness of the moment. And think about the music when it first comes out and you and you hear that timpani drum and the drama and you got the violins and the horns that you know and you've got the, the the theater the orchestra and and David Muir with that seriousness in his voice and he's delivering the news to you uh, like it's a Shakespearean performance and every adjective it has just the right emphasis and every noun and every pronoun and every adverb is removed have you ever noticed that in a newscast where they say they they remove the the pronouns and they uh, and they never tell you where it is they never tell you where it is because it's usually in some place that doesn't really matter and has no effect. And this is what they do on a nightly basis. And I know uh, Rick Klein, I think he is now with the, um, I think he's now with the morning. So he works with this other guy that was brought in to orchestrate tonight's Jan 6 hearing. And so these guys know how to make things look good. They know how to make things slick. They know just the right angles and just the right lighting. And they don't waste uh, an ounce of making it look like it's real, like it's real and it's happening. Like a lot of these pharmaceutical commercials are actually done and directed by people who make great movies. And they do it with such finesse and they, and they distract you with all this visual so that you're not really paying attention. And then the way they use the, the, when they describe a story and they link two stories that are not linked. Meanwhile, as just as this is happening over here. So they'll connect a shooting 
with another shooting that has nothing to do with each other, except that they happen in the same month. And this is what they're going to do tonight. They're going to play Pelosi Theater. It's Pelosi Theater is what it is, really. It's her way of achieving two goals. One, to drum up the emotional support of her constituency, which are the liberals that hate Trump. Uh, and then you also want to scare people who might want to support Trump or anybody that's related to Trump or MAGA or whatever else. And so it's going to be a very interesting experiment, and it'll be propaganda at its best. It'll be, I bet you they'll get an Academy Award nomination for it, or at least an Emmy. You know they will. I guarantee you that at the next Emmy, they'll create a category for this commission hearing so that it can win an award for best creative coverage of a live news event or something like that. But when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, this is what Jim Banks says you're going to hear. Gas today in my hometown in Columbia City, Indiana, is $5.25 a gallon. But in Washington, the Democrats' top priority is an hour-long made-for-TV special attacking President Trump. Americans aren't buying it. Voters see that even after nearly two years of Joe Biden, the Democrats still refuse to lead. And, you know, Adam Schiff, I think during the whole hearings about all the other stuff that he was involved with, I think he just really missed being on TV. Anyway, so other reasons I won't be watching it will be that most of, most of us already know what happened. The FBI infiltrated a mass of people. This was an orchestrated event in which Nancy Pelosi gave access to the mob by directing her White House police chief to stand down and refuse Trump's own uh, offer. You know that Trump did offer to bring in the National Guard. Of course, she thought he had other reasons for bringing in the National Guard. Uh, the, but the, I think the biggest thing for me is that I'm, I don't want to watch or support this because there are a lot of people that are still sitting in jail that have not had their, their due process. They have not been charged. They have, they have not seen their day in court. They've been charged with the crime of insurrection when they were doing nothing more than what half the nation was doing previously during the whole entire summer they were protesting. Uh, and it's the same players. We've seen all these actors before. So you can watch it and you can be dazzled. But I'll be watching something more exciting. I hear that Star Trek Insurrection is on. And I can't miss that one. That's one of my favorites. We'll be right back. You know, I like talking to smart people, people who really know what's going on. And I'm about to bring on a guest here to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. And it has to do with this whole climate scare crisis, the great deception, which it is. It is a great deception. And I've got uh, uh, what seems to me like millions of articles and audio podcasts dedicated to this, this very subject. But it's always me talking. So now I'm going to bring in somebody who knows what he's talking about. And we're going to tackle the issue because right now in America, right now in America, Everything that we're having to go through, the high gas prices, the high food prices, the bottlenecks, everything that we are having to endure is because we have a guy in the office, in the Oval Office, who thinks that a naturally produced energy system, carbon, is somehow dangerous to the planet. 
And he, along with an entire, not just one, but perhaps even two, maybe even three generations of children, have been indoctrinated into believing that they are hurting the planet, that they are raping the planet, that they are causing unmitigated harm to the planet, and it's all based on data sets, computer models, and a few scientists who figured out a way to get really rich by scaring the death out of you. So let me welcome into the program the author of the book, Global Warming, The Great Deception. His name is Guy Mitchell. Guy, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. In your introduction to your book, you state that you want to provide the reader with scientific evidence. This is scientific evidence to refute the pseudoscience that underpins the man-made global warming hypothesis. What would you like the readers of Global Warming, The Great Deception, to learn about the current state of climate science? Well, first of all, thank you, Jim. Uh, It's a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, You know, there's several things that I hope the reader of my book uh, learns as they go through the process. Uh, Number one, (laughs) that is that every claim of the proponents of the man-made global warming hypothesis is uh, false. And the databases, the world, there are four databases, world databases, that track the temperature of the lower atmosphere. It's called the troposphere. It's the first eight kilometers from the Earth's surface. The landmass of the Earth and the oceans. And there has been no global warming. The, uh, since NOAA satellites began measuring the temperature of the lower troposphere in 1979, the temperature anomaly, which is the monthly average compared to the 30-year long-term average, has shown an increase of only about 0.13 centigrade degree degrees per decade. So that amounts to about 0.013 degrees centigrade. And it's um, arguably within the margin of error of uh, the measurements. Since 2000, NOAA has been uh, engaged in what's known as the Argo float program to measure the temperature of the first, uh, well, uh, yeah, the first two kilometers of the ocean and 2,000 meters, and that there's only been a change of 0.02 degrees centigrade per decade, and that's about 0.002, again, arguably within the measurement uh, margin of error. And then finally, NOAA has determined, and this is kind of an interesting subject given the fact that there is no average temperature of the Earth, but that that there has been a temperature, an increase in the temperature of the landmass over the last 40 years, uh, surface temperature of about 2 degrees Fahrenheit, which would be an increase of 0.014 degrees Fahrenheit a year. Now, I use the term within the measurement margin of error because the, the, you, you always have what are called error bars on a measurement. You, you, you have to recognize that measure every measurement is not exact so it's always plus or minus some percent well what's interesting about this is with respect to the temperatures of the landmass i mean we're talking about the period from 1880 to 2020 
And that period of time was marked by measurement of temperature with thermometers that were graduated in one, three degrees Fahrenheit, sometimes more. So the idea that we could report that over a hundred and forty year period that there'd been an increase of 0.014 degrees Fahrenheit a year is nonsensical. So the first thing is, is that there has been no global warming. The second thing is that if one uses accepted proven principles of science with respect to measuring the added heat flux, which is the amount of heat that theoretically flows from the atmosphere as a result of an increase of 120 parts per million uh, of CO2 concentration in the atmosphere, uh, that value is about two watts per meter squared. And, and your typical flashlight with two D batteries in there will generate about three watts of energy. And to get the same uh, heat flux, you'd have to stand back and have that light be spread over uh, three square yards. So uh, the idea, and this is using accepted radiant, radiant heat transfer models, accepted public data. So the idea that, that an increase in CO2 has resulted in warming the earth has been refuted by accepted science. Uh, probably the, the third thing that I would like for people to learn is that the all of the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, the UNIPCC, all of their computer models uh, fail back testing. That is, if, in any predictive model, the way you validate a model is you do back testing by using historical data and you try to predict history. And then if you're successful doing that, then you can presume that you can extrapolate that predictive ability to the future. None of the UN models, and they admit this in their reports, pass back testing. And not only that, but they fail in their ability to predict uh, the an increase in the average temperature of the Earth, which is, by the way, is a figment of the scientist imagination. There is no average temperature of the Earth. Temperature of the Earth is different at every point in time and space. Guy Mitchell is talking with us here on the Robert Dobby Show. We're talking about global warming, the Great Deception. That is the name of his book. We're going to come back, explore this a little bit more, get to know uh, Guy a little bit, and then talk about the motivations behind all of the so-called existential climate crisis that we've all been taught to believe. Well, stay tuned. This is good stuff. My guest is Guy Mitchell. We're talking about his new book called Global Warming, The Great Deception, and I'm enjoying this conversation quite a bit. Guy, it sounds like you have quite a bit of uh, background, either in science or data collection or maybe even uh, uh, 
the study of meteorology. What is your background, if you don't mind? And then we'll get into some of these other questions about the motivations behind this climate global warming scare. What is your background, sir? Sure. Thank you, Jim. Um, well, I received a uh, Bachelor's of Science in Mechanical Engineering uh, <clears throat> in 1972, and I began a career in industry which um, <clears throat> spanned about 25 years with a public company. Uh, worked in, it's uh, actually a foreman in a coal-fired power plant, uh, oh, a plant wow. superintendent in a steel mill. <clears throat> I ran a construction materials business in Saudi Arabia. And I was the senior executive in a Fortune 500 company. And then I left to start my own business about 25 years ago, Mitchell Industries. And we design and manufacture heavy-duty industrial overhead cranes, automated equipment using robotics. And we have 25 regional offices around the country where we service any maker model of overhead cranes. So I've had a, uh, I've had a varied industrial background, business background, but I've always had an interest in science, and quite frankly, you know, my interest in science has been more related to theoretical physics, black hole theory, mm -hmm. uh, particle physics with respect to the work being done with the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a sense of, of my background. I want to get into motivation. I am on your side on a lot of this. Like you, I began to notice something strange happen around the late 80s because up until that point, most of the environmental issues were about saving whales and cleaning up, you know, garbage in our oceans and our landfills. And I was okay with that. You know, everybody wants a clean, we all want clean water, we all want clean air, things of that nature. Sure. Uh, but when I noticed that the ozone layer suddenly fixed itself, that's when my little light in my head went off. And, 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 and I started to notice the shift went from, you know, real-life environmentalism over to this more ethereal, existential, the earth is going to die thing. And I know all about the hockey stick stuff and all that junk garbage yeah. that Al Gore got introduced to. Explain to the listeners, because I know you know this, explain to them what carbon is, because I don't think they know what carbon really is. Well, I mean, fundamentally, carbon is, is, is one of the elements. That it's, it's an atom, and the carbon atom has been man's friend since the beginning of time. I mean, the, the first heat source was wood that was thrown on a campfire that was uh, created by the first man. And since that period of time, uh, carbon has been an integral energy source. Uh, for mankind, we it's been involved in lignite, peat, coal, uh, oil, uh, gasoline, and um, it's it has provided mankind with a a significant improvement in the standard of, of living. Uh, we've explored the world. We've explored outer space using fuels that are uh, carbon based. So it's an essential element. It's, it's almost like a gift from God. Uh, I've always argued that, you know, when you look at a piece of coal and you hold it in his hand, what you're actually holding is a few million years of compressed dirt and, and whatever they call that, you know, plant life carbon. Right. When, when everything gets reduced down to its basics, it ends up being carbon. But then you've got this compressed carbon that is just packed full of energy. And that, and That's I correct. say, if you want it, right. And, and, and it oozes out of the earth. It just oozes. 
And so it must drive you crazy to see what we're going through with with our. And you guys are about to. Are you in uh, Texas by any chance? Because if you are, I'm actually you're about to have really. Yeah, I'm actually in North Carolina, but okay. um, Yeah, remember also that carbon dioxide, which seems to be the the well, doesn't seem to be. It's the target of the proponents of the global warming hypothesis. Carbon dioxide is a is a necessary element for life. You know, plants absorb plant matter absorbs carbon dioxide in a process called photosynthesis and produces oxygen, which man and animals need to breathe. So, uh, carbon the, the the carbon atom and its derivatives like carbon is compounds like carbon dioxide. Are critical to life on Earth, and and if you and if you've noticed, what's interesting is that NASA has published pictures that show the greening over the Earth of the last 40 years has been very beneficial for agriculture around the world. Amazing, isn't it? So it must drive yes, you crazy is. when we have this president who he has an abundance of of, of riches under his feet, and he's been convinced by others or himself. But you say there are other motivations. What are the? What's the real motivation factor behind this push towards a renewable future and moving away from fossil fuels? Well, I'll give you an example. In um, 2004, former Vice President Al Gore and a partner and a partner from uh, Goldman Sachs, David Blood formed Generational Equity Management, which was an LLC or, or some sort of a corporate entity, in London in 2004. This was after the, this was one year before the Kyoto Protocol was to become effective. The Kyoto Protocol introduced the concept of trading carbon credits. So when Mr. Gore and his partner established their firm in 2004, the global trading market for carbon credits was valued at about $10 billion. In 2019, the the global trading market for carbon credits was estimated to be about $200 billion. And it's estimated that it will quickly grow to $1 trillion, largest commodity trading market in the world by far. And so, quite frankly, it's all about the money for the UNIPCC. It's about the money for research. Uh, and also, the stated goal of the UN is to affect wealth transfer from the developed nations to the developing nations under the auspices of addressing climate change. And, and really, it's, it's to address what they call socioeconomic inequalities. And so right. it's all about the money. It's mm-hmm. about the money for global investment firms to profit from the trading of carbon credits. It's about the money for uh, research scientists. And for the UN, it's about reordering the world and addressing socioeconomic inequality. You know, one day we'll be all uh, taxed because of how much carbon we use in our day to day living, whether we're taxed for driving more, which is legislation they're pushing in places like. Los Angeles and uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, you could see what's happening. What's most amazing to me is that if you just look, what what Guy is talking about here, what I've said, most of this information is available to you, 
if you know where to find it. But a lot of it is obfuscated. If you were to go on Wikipedia, you know, it's been corrupted by people who want a narrative and look up carbon. Immediately, you'll have three paragraphs about global warming. Exactly. Uh, even right. And so it, it, in a lot of careers, a lot of people who know that the climate change science is, is a lie can't say anything because they will be excommunicated. They will lose their careers. They will lose their tenure and they'll be called an enemy of the state for not com- for not joining the consensus movement. And so I want people to read your book and I, I please do. It's Guy Mitchell's Global Warming, The Great Deception. I'm running through it now and, and he's done his research and he'll give you the talking points so that you can go and have a meaningful conversation with people who are frankly deeply scared that the world is going to end in 2030. So Guy Mitchell, you got 10 seconds. Uh, anything you want to add? And we'll have you back on again, I hope. Well, no, Jim, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be with you. And I do hope that everybody will try to educate themselves to the truth about this issue. It's extremely important to our country and the world. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Guy Mitchell, ladies and gentlemen, the name of the book, Global Warming, The Great Deception. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed my guest. I've been talking about this stuff for so long. And it's just, it's amazing to me that people, I think about the things that people have embraced. You know, we laugh at at the old days when people used to think that the earth circled, you know, the, the sun circled around the earth. And then we later learned that, no, it's the other way around. But, you know, people had convinced themselves that must be it because you look and you see that the sun is moving, the earth isn't moving, even though the oceans are moving. Otherwise, it would be flat, but there's wind, so you can make an exception for that. So the logic uh, is that, oh, the sun must move, right? And all the scientists believed in it, and they, if you were against it, then you were ostracized and you were considered heretic and you would lose your job or you'd lose your life and that's how serious it was back then in the religious days you know you remember the 16th 17th century the catholic church was very very powerful it wasn't until martin luther and the protestants and there was a division Uh, you had the purists and you had the not so purist Uh, you had the saints and then you had the ministers anyway they were in control and so any kind of new knowledge that came out was if it contradicted the church, then you were gone, you were out. But see, now we have a new theocracy. It's called scientism. And that's sort of what we talked about today with Guy Mitchell in his book, is that you have an attitude today where if you break away and question the consensus, then you are a heretic. And people that are in the field of physics, uh, astrobiology, astronomy, even meteorology, You know, take, for example, the Weather Channel. They're now dedicating much more of their programming. They've even have an hour-long show on every single day that I refuse to watch because all it is is global warming propaganda. And they're using convincing data sets to show you. So, so for example, you know, they say, oh, well, there's going to be 14 hurricanes this year, and it's because of global warming. Well, first of all, it might have we might have 14 hurricanes. We might not. Because I have two other models that say we're going to have nine and seven. So which who's right? So if they can't get that right, how are we to believe what they're saying about the climate is true? And how is it that you and I and all of us 
we can sit here and listen to these people when they completely misled us about COVID. They completely mis... In fact, I wrote an article about that today on my website, thejimwatkinshow.online, and I, I hope you'll read it. The name of the article is called Getting COVID is Now Cool and Why Everyone is Such an Expert. And it's, it's a, an article that, uh, because the, the cases are so down now, the cases are down in America and, and around the world, deaths are down, and, and people say, well, why don't you trust the science? Why don't you trust the science? And I'll tell you why I don't trust the science. Because for two years, our medical establishment forced people to stay home and suffocate to death. Because they were absolutely sure that there was no such thing as therapeutics for COVID-19. You had Dr. Fauci and the entire NIH telling doctors they would lose their license if they prescribed ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or remdesivir, all of these therapies that have been used around the world for hundreds of years, or at least the last century, that, that other people could buy off the street for pennies. But we wouldn't sell them here. I had a guy who, who had a horse farm, and he said, hey, if you ever need some ivermectin, I've got some for you. And when I buy every month, I get these treatments for my dog, my little puppy Rusty. He gets this heartworm medicine that prevents, you know, weird fungus from growing in his heart. And it says right in the box, ivermectin. I give it to my dog every month. Dr. Peter McCullough, one of the most well-written scientists, health medical professionals in the country. And I, if I had time, I'd find the clip. And he said, what our health industry did to Americans was criminal. We forced them to stay home, isolate themselves, and they can't get treatment until they're almost dead. Not allowed to leave their homes. No one's allowed to visit them. And then finally, when their blood oxygen level drops to 72%, that's when they can become an inpatient, and that's when they qualify for treatment. But by that time, they have cytokine storms. Their lungs are filled with phlegm. And they die a slow death of asphyxiation. And then the doctors say, well, there goes another COVID death. You know, we've had over a million COVID deaths related. I would be curious to know how many of those people were forced to die because of the arrogance of the scientists who run the NIH. And that all falls on the, on the heels or the, the footsteps of Dr. Fauci, who suddenly has disappeared. So when people say, well, why don't you trust the scientists, Jim? I trust science, but I don't trust scientists because they're politically motivated. People on the Weather Channel, if you're against climate change and that whole charade, you won't be working at, at the Weather Channel. You'll have to give up that, that, that job because we can't have dissenters. The message must be unified. Now you have people that really do believe that the Earth is going to die in 1,036 days or 35 days, or 2030. They walk around. They won't have children. Young people won't have children. They've been convinced. And if this is all about carbon and carbon tax and carbon credits and uh, redistribution of wealth from wealthy nations to undeveloped nations and having a self-appointed group of scientists, climatologists, who all tell us that we all have to pay, that we have to pay $10 a gallon to save the planet, that we have to go into poverty... 
to save the planet. The children can't have baby formula because it's a way of making sure the planet doesn't overheat. This is why I don't trust the science or the scientists. You know, I don't ever get tested for COVID. I've had the shots. I did it on protest, but I've had my Moderna vaccines. And every day I walk around wondering if a spike protein is going to cause me to have a heart attack. That's the way I feel. Now, it's interesting because they say, oh, you got to get boosted. You got to get boosted. You got to have two boosts. You got to have two shots, two boosts, two shots, two boosts. Then you're okay. But how come that doesn't work with the meebles, mumps, and rubella shots? Those vaccines, you're one and done. See, a vaccine is supposed to trick your body into developing an immunity against said virus. That was the whole point. That's why they said when you took the COVID shot, it would prevent you from getting COVID because your body would know how to react to it. But then they came up with a word called efficacy. Oh, the efficacy starts to wane. Well, why is that? It doesn't wane for the MMR shots for my kids. They take it once and done. They, I think they have to give a, get a second one booster shot two years later. The first one when they're like two, and then the second one when they're like four. And then they go to school. They got their little you know, immunization card, and they're good. Now, kids are going to have to get boosters every year. Moderna is about to, to authorize a once-a-year. And you got the, the, the local media, the network media, all promoting it as if it's perfectly safe. So you ask me, why don't I trust the science? Why don't I trust the science on doctors and medical professionals who've accepted gender dysphoria as a legitimate health concern when all it is is glorified plastic surgery? And, the, and it's a money maker. It's all about the money. So you got COVID, which is about the money. You got climate change, which is about the money and the carbon, trading carbon credits, diverting billions of dollars towards infrastructure plans to put up solar panels across the desert so people can't farm. Trust the scientists. Now we're going to trust the scientists to perform plastic surgery on any nine-year-old kid who doesn't want to be a boy or doesn't want to be a girl or doesn't want to be neither, which is really frightening. Imagine being a part of a species and you don't think you're part of the species. Oh, no, it's not mental illness. It's not gender dysphoria. According to the scientists, that person was born in the wrong body. And we believe it. Isn't that strange? We believe these things. We've accepted it. We've accepted that the experts are right. We don't think about what motivates them, how they're trying to protect their careers, how they're protecting their tenure, uh, or how much money they're going to get by being on the panel that investigates these things. And it's all traced back to basically fear, fear of not being able to survive. That's why people wear masks, because they've been told that the mask will help them. That's why they get their booster shots. That's why they separate their garbage. That's why they don't flinch when gas costs $8 an hour, because they know that they're doing it for the common good. They're paying the price for white privilege or whatever privilege they think they have. In the meantime, behind the scenes, the Wizard of Oz is laughing and tears are running down his face, I'm telling you. And it's sad that we live in this world, but that's why we do the radio show. That's why I'm here. That's why Dobby's here. Because most of us can see the truth, like tonight with the January 6th commissions, if you watch it. I hope your truth meter is going ding, 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 ding. Uh, uh, red, red, false, false, false. 
Actually, they, if they're smart, they'll add laugh tracks. Uh, at least it'll make it more enjoyable. But, Suede, uh, I'm going to let people ponder some of what we just discussed. I know it's pretty heavy. And I want to thank all my listeners and Robert Dobby's listeners in Las Vegas and Colorado Springs and Phoenix and Albuquerque and Hot Springs and elsewhere on the CRN Talk Network. Thank you for joining me on this program. Always an honor to sit in for the great Robert Dobby, and we'll do it again real soon. Talk to you tomorrow. To me.